This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for August 10th, 2018. In this week's episode, blackmail email scams are on the rise and can be pretty scary. We'll tell you what to watch out for. Plus, Mozilla's Firefox browser will start using Cloudflare's DNS service exclusively. Will it affect your workflow? Apple responds to congressional questions about privacy and the iPhone. And what are 32-bit and 64-bit apps, and why do they matter? The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. 32-bit, 64-bit. I bet you know the difference, right, Josh? Sure. Okay, well, tell us. 64 <laughs> is twice 32, and that's an easy answer, but you must know more than that. Uh, when it comes to, to 32-bit versus 64-bit applications, that sounds very technical, and it kind of is, all the specifics of it. But I guess one of the most important things to know about this is that beginning with High Sierra, Apple has started to put up alerts in the operating system about, hey, you know, your app uh, is outdated and, and you need to contact your developer and have them issue an update. And it's kind of ambiguous. There'll be a link in the show notes to an article I wrote about this, and you can see the screenshot. It says that the app is not optimized for your Mac. It says the app needs to be updated by its developer to improve compatibility. Right. Ambiguous is is an understatement. It doesn't really say anything about what's not optimized. Right, exactly. And so this is it's one of those things that um, I think people are Googling about a lot because it, it there, there's no real context there's no link or to you know where you can get more information it's kind of funny because a lot of times in official microsoft you know windows security or other dialog boxes they'll provide a link to a microsoft support article apple doesn't really do that so it, it sort of sort of leaves you hanging and going oh okay but then it lets you run the app anyway and then that alert may not appear again no it only appears once that's the point. You'll never see it again. And so if you're in a hurry, you launch an app and you see the alert and you just click OK, well, you'll never see it again. You won't remember when you have more time to look for an update. So this is a potential problem. And uh, how soon is this really going to affect end users? Well, Apple had kind of implied in the past that, you know, High Sierra might be the last version that supported 32-bit apps. And now evidently, uh, Mojave is also going to run 32-bit apps, um, it, but that's it. Apple says we're not extending it beyond Mojave. So you're still going to get these dialog boxes, it sounds like, with uh, once the official you know version of Mojave is released to the, to the general public. And then uh, what happens after that? Well, for now, we don't even know what's going to happen. So Mojave will run 32-bit apps. But what Apple said, and this was about High Sierra initially, it would be the last version of macOS to run 32-bit apps without compromise. What's, what does without compromise mean? My, my thought is it's something to do with emulation. If you remember back in the days that they moved from PowerPC to Intel, for example, there was like a, a program that was emulating the previous PowerPC architecture to be able to run the older apps. And now it's not even clear. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily going to be slower but I don't even know what could be prevented by an app that's not 64 bits. But how about a quick explainer? What's, what is this mean? What are these bits? 32 bits, 64 bits? I've got megabits and megabytes. What is this all about? Sure. Well, the basics of it are that 
32-bit code and 64-bit code. 64-bit um, code is uh, is more modern and it's and it has some more capabilities. One of the things that I think we've mentioned on a previous episode is that, for example, 64-bit apps are able to use practically an unlimited amount of memory compared to uh, the amount that a 32-bit app can use. For example, they can use 16 exabytes of memory. You know what an exabyte is, right? Yeah, well, let's see. We've got uh, kilobytes, megabytes, gigabytes, petabytes, terabytes, and then exabytes, I think, comes after that. Exactly. An, an exabyte is a thousand petabytes. A petabyte is a thousand terabytes. A terabyte is a thousand gigabytes. Yeah, that's, that's, lots that's of a bytes. lot. <laughs> that's a lot of bytes. <laughs> you know, I, when I bought my new iMac last year, I remember how much it cost to add eight gigabytes of RAM to it. How much is it going to cost for an exabyte of RAM? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty uh, serious system. You you might need to be a professional gamer or you know Bitcoin miner or something to ever need that much RAM. So um, pra practically speaking, I guess from from a memory perspective, there's probably not very many apps that really need to to be updated 64-bit to take advantage of the extra memory. But there are there are some other kind of architectural differences. And basically, I think what Apple's goal is here is to try to push people to not use ancient applications, uh, and they want you to use modern apps that are going to take advantage of other features of the latest versions of macOS. And, and, and this is one way to kind of push people in that direction. Right. Since they don't sift out old apps from the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store, adding this 64-bit requirement means that people who haven't updated their apps in five or six or eight years that might still run will no longer work and they can slowly get rid of them. They won't delete them from the stores immediately because there will be some people who won't update to the latest operating system, more so on the Mac and on iOS, but it does give them a way of sweeping away the cruft that's been there for a long time. I think the takeaway here is that, as you said, it's more modern code. It allows them to access features that the older apps can't. I think it has something to do with the the actual processor instructions that make certain features available, particularly in terms of graphics one of the things that Mojave, macOS Mojave is going to require is that the Mac has a Metal compatible graphics card. And Metal is this graphics, what is it, framework that runs on the Mac that requires certain modern hardware. So I think this is all of a piece with their desire to move everyone forward. Some people will claim it is planned obsolescence, but I think that if you've got a Mac that's old enough to not run Metal, it's what, five or six years old by now. Yeah. You know, and anecdotally, I think that probably this is helping a little bit with getting developers, uh, you know, in gear and updating some older apps. There have been a couple of apps that I've used where I've contacted the developer and, you know, you know, maybe... I'm just a geek, and so I'm an outlier. On the other hand, you know, I there's a, an app that I have developed that I haven't. It's kind of been stagnant for a few years, called Invisibility Toggler, and it's just a really simple thing that you click on it. You know, you put it in your dock, so you can click on it once, and it toggles the state of invisible files in your Finder. And I actually got somebody reaching out to me, my little tiny app that, you know, nobody hardly knows about that has a very like niche, you know, market. How, how many people really need to do this, like to toggle the visibility of files in the finder, right? But I actually had somebody reach out to me and ask for an update, so. Okay, so tip of the week. For those who don't want to bother with Josh's app, did you know there's a keyboard shortcut that can do this? Toggle invisibility in the finder. Command, shift, period. 
I think they started with Sierra. Correct. Yeah, they in implemented that in Sierra. So yeah, which makes my app even more niche because now there, <laughs> there's a there's a quick way to do this built into Mac OS. I would dare say it makes your app useless if people know the <laughs> keyboard shortcut, but a lot of people don't. So if you do want to do this, go to the Finder, Command Shift period, and you'll probably see one or more files appear in whatever folder you're in. If you go to the top level of your hard drive and you do it, you'll see tons of files and folders show up. Do yourself a favor, don't mess with them. Don't delete anything, move anything, go into any folders. This is dangerous stuff. But sometimes you do need to find if an invisible file is there and this is the quick way to do it. Yeah, w one example of where this can be useful in a security context is if you're looking to try to manually clean your system and you know, you're following a guide maybe uh, that Intego has posted about where you can look to find some of these things, sometimes malware is hidden in library folders and and the library folder within your user directory is something that for several versions of Mac OS now Apple has hidden by default and and this gives you a way that you can find that and see that in the finder okay in other news US Congress has asked some large companies particularly Apple and Alphabet questions about their data collection policies and Apple has responded basically saying the customer is not our product Right. And, and this has been Apple's tagline for quite a while now. They like to position themselves as the heroes who, unlike, you know, those other guys, <clears throat> you know, Google, Facebook, we're, we're the guys who are actually protecting your privacy. We care about you. You're our customer. So you're, you're not our we're not selling your private information. So therefore, you're not our product is how Apple likes to spin that. And there is something to be said for that. I think Apple has has a good perspective there. And I appreciate that regardless of whether they're kind of using it as a as a marketing, you know, <laughs> bludgeoning tool or whatever. Uh, I, I do think that it is a good thing that Apple is trying to protect user privacy, or at least, you know, that seems to be their their goal with a lot of their features and things. So Congress asked Apple and Google to give some more information about how their products work. And really, they're mostly interested in cell phones because, uh, you know, obviously Android and iOS are the main operating systems in that market. And so uh, Apple said some things that probably are not terribly surprising. There were a few interesting notes um, that CNET had. These are some of their takeaways. They said that Apple's iOS system encrypts location information and doesn't associate that information with any name or Apple ID. And iOS permanently deletes that data from an iPhone if the phone doesn't connect to Wi-Fi or power for seven days. They also say that iPhones without SIM cards only send a limited amount of information about cell towers and Wi-Fi hotspots to Apple if the user has enabled location services, which, frankly, let's be honest, every iOS user <laughs> enables location services because you have to do that in order to use Maps and other apps. Well, it's useful. Yeah. They say if you choose not to enable location services, maybe you're not using any maps or other apps like that, then that information is encrypted and isn't used for any kind of targeted advertising. And if location services are turned off, the iPhone won't send any data to Apple. They also said one of the questions that they had specifically for Apple was, you're asking people to enable this feature so that when they say a, you know, the word Siri out loud that their phone is going to activate 
And so doesn't that mean that you're constantly listening for that word Siri and then that you're along with the word hey before it? And doesn't that mean that you're recording that? And are you sending that to, to Apple servers or how does that work? Well, it's not surprisingly, Apple says, uh, no, we don't send const a constant stream of your audio to Apple servers. I think um, we would know about that if if something like that were going on because it would rack up people's data bill. That's right. Yeah, it would be very obvious if Apple were doing something like that. But Apple, for its part, says we're not even recording that information on your device. It, there's no recording going on when we're listening for the wake word. So that's that's good to know. We'll have a link in the show notes to the full response that Apple sent to Congress if you want to look into this in more detail. Quickly, there's just one other thing before we go to a break about Mozilla, which runs Firefox, and they've got a new form of DNS resolution. In two minutes, can you tell us why this is a really good thing and tell us why it might not be a really good thing? Yeah, sure. So we've talked on the podcast in the past about Cloudflare's relatively new DNS service 1.1.1.1. And Firefox, starting with version 62, which is supposed to be coming about a month from now, is supposed to be leveraging this DNS service in order to, Mozilla says, better protect your privacy. Now, the whole idea behind this 1111 DNS service is that by being your DNS provider, Cloudflare can do some additional things to sort of protect those DNS lookups. In other words, when you type in apple.com, it's got to translate that in behind the scenes into an IP address. That's the address on the internet of where Apple's server is located. And if you're just using your ISPs provided DNS, like most people do, then now your ISP has a whole bunch of information that they can collect about you. They know every site that you've ever visited. And so the idea behind this, behind adding this to the browser is that um, it allows for DNS over HTTPS, which is uh, something that, uh, that Cloudflare specifically offers with their service. And so by Firefox integrating that, they're able to, um, to have an, an encrypted lookup for any websites that you go to. So it's not going to your ISP for them to, you know, <laughs> have in their logs for who knows how long. So, and there's some other advantages too, according to, to Mozilla. But what about the disadvantages? Yeah, so, so there's a Swiss blog that was talking about how they're concerned about this. And although Mozilla says this is gonna protect your privacy, they're kind of going, well, wait a minute, because w what if I want to use my own DNS servers, whatever, you know, maybe my company's DNS servers uh, that I have control over, or at least, you know, trust a little bit more than some third party service. Maybe I, I'm not familiar with Cloudflare, or maybe I don't trust that they're really trying to protect my privacy. Right. It's not uncommon for really big companies to have their own DNS server. Yeah. And so they wrote this big, long article about this and kind of shared what they felt were some potential risks. We'll link to it in the show notes. Later in the article, they updated it and said, oh, well, we actually found out that it is possible to disable this. So if you do have concerns, concerns about Cloudflare, uh, you can turn off the service once Firefox 62 comes out, there will be a setting that you can can uh, can disable in order to continue using whatever DNS server 
your computer wants to use. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a new blackmail scam that's worrying a lot of people. But first, we have a new winner of our Intego survey. It's Raymond L. from Virginia. You'll see a link in the show notes to the survey that we have been running now for some months. And every month, we choose a winner who gets a $100 Visa gift card. So head over to the show notes, click on the survey link, and answer the survey. Tell us what you think of the podcast, what you'd like to hear more about. If the fast-approaching first day of school is circled on your calendar, Intego hopes you'll take a little bit of your summertime that's left to step up your security. After all... When you head back to the classroom with your Mac, you'll want to be greeted by good old friends and classmates, not brand new viruses and malware. As part of our commitment to protecting students and teachers and all Mac users on the security front, Intego wants to make sure that your Mac security is set up and squared away for the fall. It's Intego's back-to-school sale. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can take 50% off any Intego software by using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. That's right. You can get Intego's award-winning security and utility software for 50% off the suggested retail price. Just use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. No spaces, all one word. The Intego Back to School sale only lasts till that circle date on the calendar. So hurry. Save 50% on Intego software with the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, in other news, a lot of people have been getting emails that have worried them a bit. It's saying, and I actually got one of these a few weeks ago, it's saying that someone has information about their password. And the email actually says the name of a password that the user may have used at some point. And to just explain briefly, what the email says is that when you were watching porn on your computer, I put some malware on your computer and it took video of you and you have to pay me by Bitcoin or I will share the video. Now, I've seen some friends on Facebook mention this in the past few weeks and they were kind of worried because, you know, how does this happen? We know how it happens and you're going to explain how it happens. Right away, let's immediately understand that this is bogus. But these emails do mention a password that you may have used in the past. What's going on here, Josh? I think the main things to know here are, as as you mentioned, first of all, this is not legitimate. There's no, nobody's actually gotten a video of you doing anything in front of your computer. This is just a, a scare tactic, really. And the password that might be included in some of these emails um, usually comes from a database breach. So there have been many, many companies and probably everyone listening to this show has had some password of theirs in a data breach, been in some dump after a site got hacked. Usually, most of the time, websites use some sort of hashing, which we've talked about before, which is kind of a way of obfuscating your password and in, in many cases making it so it's not retrievable. Right. They don't store the actual password. They store the results of mathematical operations made to the characters of the password. And so most of the time when these breaches of sites happen, it's not your actual password that's getting out. But in some cases, it really is. And so there are really a number of databases out there that may even match up your specific email address with a specific password that you may have used on some service at some point. Right. In my case, it was a password that I haven't used for more than 10 years. 
Because back in the early days, we didn't worry too much about how secure our passwords were. We didn't know that we were going to get to this point where our passwords have to be, you know, 18 random characters with with special characters and uppercase and lowercase and numbers, as they all are now, or they should be. <laughs> right. But if you're not a security geek, uh, you know, a lot of people are still using the same terrible passwords that they were using 10 plus years ago, or passwords that have been in one of these public breaches. And they may not realize that their password is floating out there on the internet, and they may be using this password on multiple services, and they may, even if they didn't subscribe to any particular site mentioned uh, in the email, they see that and it immediately sets off kind of a red alert in their mind. Oh my gosh, somebody has my password and so now I'm going to trust whatever they say. So the first thing to know is that you can check and see if your data has been in one of these data breaches, right? Yeah. One of the the great ways to do this is um, to go to Have I Been Pwned? We, we talked about this a couple of times, but um, Have I Been P-W-N-E-D <laughs> dot com. Link in the show notes. Yeah. And... This is a safe site to use. All you put in is your email address and it won't just give you the passwords of <laughs> of anything that your that email address may have been uh, can have been used with in the past. But what it'll do is it'll let you know if that email address has been found in any of these public dumps. You know, go ahead. I, I, please do try this out. Put in your email address there and see what happens. And chances are, especially if this is a, an email address that you've used with many online services, um, you're probably going to be in one of these dumps. And, and your password, your even sometimes your actual password may have been exposed in the past. Um, so this will give you an idea of what may have happened with accounts that you've had in the past. What's interesting is that I just put one of my email addresses into the website and I see that it shows up in Adobe and that makes sense. Bitly, the URL shortener that I've used for a while, discussed the comment thing, but Domino's Pizza, I think I ordered from Domino's Pizza once when I lived in France. <laughs> and of course it says that in June, 2014, Domino's Pizza in France and Belgium was hacked. Uh -huh. I I'm surprised to see some of these other sites mentioned because I don't even remember using them. One thing is possible, though, is that some site, some company bought out another company and they may have the database of a previous company, right? Right. It could be. Um, another thing that sometimes happens is that these are just spam lists that have leaked. And so, you know, some spam organization has this huge, massive list of email addresses. They may not always necessarily be tied to a password. So Have I Been Pwned also does include some of those type of dumps that have been out there. So they will give you that information about which sites actually had passwords in them. Uh, after you put in your email address, it'll say, oh no, pwned. And it'll say something like, in my case, um, with my oldest email address that I've used you know, for well over a decade, probably at least two decades at this point. Uh, it says pwned on five breached sites and found in one paste. And if I scroll down, it gives me a list of those sites where uh, my email address has been found, and it lists which of those have included passwords. And actually, several of these say that they've included passwords. So it is possible that maybe some of my old passwords uh, are out there in, in the wild somewhere. Um, this is a really, really good eye-opening 
thing that everybody should do because it, it reveals to you that you really cannot continue using passwords that you've been using for a long time and and everybody needs to update those passwords that they've used on multiple services. So back to the email, this is an example of a sort of a scattershot approach. People send out millions of these to addresses that they've harvested. And in some cases, it is actually mentioning a password that you may have used. Before the show, we were trying to decide what other types of blackmail could they use. They could accuse people of illegally downloading movies and music on torrent sites. They could target married people who are using dating apps. That's a little bit more difficult to find out if someone's actually married using the dating app. Or they could say that they've hacked your email and that they've got messages where you've talked about your boss and they'll tell your boss if you don't pay them. You know, all this sort of, all this type of thing is relatively scary. And again, it's just social engineering. They don't have anything, at least in these cases, they don't. It's entirely possible that someone hacks you personally. That's Tom Cruise stuff. But this is just social engineering trying to scare you, making you think that they have something. Right, exactly. And and as with any of these types of scams, phishing scams are, are the same way, where somebody says, oh, uh, yeah, you need to reset your PayPal password. And so here's a link to do that. And it just comes out of the blue. But enough people out there have PayPal that even if they don't know that you have PayPal, there's going to be enough people who will probably fall for that and click on the link. And it's the same kind of thing with this scam where they're just banking on there being enough people out there that uh, that they can trick. And and adding that little extra bit with, uh, with putting in a password that somebody may have used once, that adds a lot of legitimacy in people's minds because they go, oh my gosh, wow, they have information about me. I know that's legitimate information, so I need to take this more seriously. And to be fair, a fairly large percentage of the population does look at porn. Now, we're not judging if you're over 18, it's legal, so you do what you want. But this is an assumption that people are doing something that they may be ashamed of and that if it got out, it would be a problem. Uh, you know, the threat is that they'll tell your friends and family and, and, and employers and stuff like that. And, and, and embarrass you. Another thing is that when you look at these emails, there's nothing other than that password that suggests that they know anything about you personally. And in fact, what you should do is if you get one of these emails, copy the first paragraph or, or a couple of sentences and Google it, and you'll find websites where they're talking about this and they're showing the exact same text. Now, the texts aren't all the same, I'll link in the show notes to an article on the Indigo Mac security blog about this. And the screenshot of the email in that article is, is a different text, but only slightly from the email that I got. So there are variants of the text, but people aren't, you know, trying too hard to, to make this. They're not trying to make it look professional. In fact, quite the opposite. So here's what you need to do to protect yourself. The first thing is you select that email in your email app and you press that key on the top right of your keyboard and delete it. Just get rid of it. It's bogus. Second thing, if you're worried, scan your Mac for malware. You can use Intego Virus Barrier and just to make sure. But we're 99.999% we're sure that, that if you get one of these emails, it's bogus. But the third thing, and here's what's more important, is update your passwords for your accounts that you use. If the password that you got in that email, of course, remember, this is the evidence that they're trying to send to show that it's legitimate. If you're still using that password anywhere, you need to change it because that means that they've got your email and your password and they might be able to log into your account on various websites which could cost you money. Right, absolutely. And and who knows what they could do. I mean, depending on the site, um, there might be a lot of information that they could get about you. For identity theft? Right, sure. exactly. Or they could change 
information on your profiles. They could post maybe on your Facebook or Twitter account and infect, you know, your friends. So there's a lot of nasty things that people can do if, if they can log into your accounts. And if you really did use that password on a porn site, change it right away. With all that in mind, Josh, stay really secure. <laughs> all right. Stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.